Hello and welcome to the Plant Paradigm Podcast, where we have inspiring conversations with incredible individuals from all around the world and look for ways to create a clean, green and sustainable home planet for every single being on here. Today is your monthly paradigm, the monthly debrief of all things that we find that is important that's happened in the past 30 days and it's your place to keep up to date with things like climate science, nutrition, um, things related to veganism. And on these episodes, I am joined with my beautiful co-host and fiance, Shana Harrington. Hello. Hello. Let's do this. Let's do this. So we have got a ripper episode today. We're going to be talking about you know many things. And one of the deep dives we're going to go through today is surrounding mental health and veganism. There was a new study that came out recently. What um, was it? Forty thousand Brazilians. Yeah, I think it was fourteen thousand. Oh, sorry. There's still a four that. in there. Still a four in there. Fourteen thousand. Fourteen thousand Brazilians that had, did a survey, um, and yeah, they found that veganism causes what more depressive episodes. Correct. So we will break that down and go through that. Yes, that's see. very exciting. Yes. Because, you know, mental health, I think, nowadays has become a very important topic. And it's become less taboo as years go by, which is fantastic. I think that's an incredible step. Um, but I think when it comes to veganism, I find an extra interesting conversation to be had. So just on the personal front, we're back home in Australia, which is fantastic news. Um, or, we, you know, we'll miss the Asian sun. It is quite a bit more cool here. And the cheaper food in Asia. Oh, and the cheaper <laughs> food. Like We just we... went through our bank statement and it was like $12 lunch, $4 van me. $75 tax, <laughs> uh, 75 cent taxi. Literally. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like we are truly grateful to... It's weird how you, you can be in an economic position from one country to another and just live a completely different lifestyle. Mm. So moral of this story, go and retire in Asia. Yes. <laughs> Live like king and queens. Absolutely. Um, and I did, you know, during my time there, I took my Four Sigmatic coffee. So I wasn't too far away ever from a coffee as much as, you know, I love the $1 uh, coffees and the $2 lattes, but uh, it's nice to have a little bit of fungi in my diet with that Four Sigmatic sachets. So for those who haven't tried Four Sigmatic before, um, you can hop onto their website and enter code PLANT10 for 10% off your purchase. Yummy. And yes. they've got a great hot chocolate too, which yeah. is great for before bed, nice mm. and calming. You know, I, I have been having it before bed actually this past week. And actually, don't, I think it does help a little bit with sleep. I didn't expect it to, but it's just a nice... But it's also, you know, where's your head at when you're having this hot chocolate? Your intention is set. Mm. Like I'm having this before bed and I'm getting ready. My brain's dialing down a little bit. Um, and so, you know, I've been having it like an hour, hour and a half before sleep. And I've just found that the, the mood shifts a little bit. So nice and relaxing. It is. I agree. But shall we get into our stories? Hit us with your first story. My first one. So a climate scientist has surprise revealed that the people at the Eco 27 were eating kitten soup. You've seen, have you seen the video of this? I haven't. Cool. So I'll insert it in the podcast in a moment, but it's dubbed as Kittengate. That is the story of this event. And Dr. Jay Kumari swapped out chicken soup for kitten soup. 
Um, now, this is to show that the right conversations still aren't being had in that community around animal agriculture and its impact on climate change. So I'll insert that footage here. Could this be the worst blow to the climate movement yet? Definitely one of the most bizarre and shocking images we've obtained from the Eco 27 Summit. Attendees are eating what they believe to be cream of chicken soup, normally delicious, right? When renowned climate scientist Dr. Jay Kumari leaps to the podium and announces that he has swapped the chicken with kitten. We're talking baby cats here. He then starts chanting a phrase from a banner that reads hashtag don't throw up, which I'm sure plenty of people there did. The, the most fascinating part of all this is actually, you know, American news is, is quite entertaining to watch, <laughs> um, to say the least. And this reporter, Bryce Harding, I had never seen anything of him prior, but I generally don't like spreading too much uh, hate, so to speak. But I mean, we have a word for people like him and he just seems like a tool. Mm. Um, the way that these reporters, you know, beyond the story, I think there's an underlining point. And, and Australia, and I think a lot of the world ha has this problem, is news is not opinions. Mm -hmm. If you're a reporter or a journalist and you're sharing an opinion and you're, you're saying that that is news, that is, that is not okay in my books. You are sharing news. You are not sharing your opinion. And so in this breakdown, you know, viewed by millions of people, he, he's, he's, and I'll insert footage again of this, but it's not professional to share your opinion about something that's so dire, especially when it comes to climate change. Like you're not a six-year-old kid playing on a playground. Like you're here to spread the correct information. Why not include beans or cats or dogs? Well, or... Wait, because, because, wait, hold on. What? Dogs are cats? Well, it what? seems clear that Kamari was trying to expose this irrational mentality of meat. He was trying to expose what's called carnism. It's the carnism. invisible belief system that conditions people to eat certain animals. Oh, okay, great. All right, so uh, another new woke social justice end all oppression term that no, progressives no, are going to make is, us use. This is a bona fide term oh, used in the social sciences. and. Okay, but but like really? I mean, like the, really? In, in, invisible belief system? What is it? Are we, are we in the Matrix yeah. now? Or is Neo behind me? Props to them for getting Dr. Melanie Joy on there to kind of explain this. And the the a point underlying point in all this is why are you comparing? His point is, but chicken is a more eco friendly option than beef, which is is true. Um, but her point, which I think is really important as well, is like why are you stopping at chicken? Why aren't you comparing beef to beans? Why do you stop at something that's still got an environmental impact? And is a essential being. Yeah, 100%. Mm. So uh, <clears throat> what do you have? Do you have a certain thought around eating kitten soup? Because I couldn't. Well, you mentioned to me that people were vomiting after yeah. it. Look, I get that because I'm sure a lot of people in that room would have had a kitten in their life or currently have a kitten or now have a cat. So it would be very confronting. It's a very bold move if that is actually true. Mm. Did we ever find out I, if it was? You know, I watched the video mm -hmm. three times and I don't know if I missed it. My brain was elsewhere, but I couldn't find whether it was actually kittens. There was no, there was no mention of it not being mm. kittens so my first questions of like where did he source that how did he get into the kitchen and swap that out so i had not found any evidence that it wasn't kitten soup mm -hmm. so i'm assuming the worst case scenario um that it was indeed kitten soup and you know in the footage you do see people like like doing the belching ready to go kind of 
and high reaching. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm really perplexed with the topic whether, you know, I understand the point. I really do what Dr. J was trying to convey. It's just a very far fetched way of going about it if that is actually what has happened. Correct. So it all depends on whether it's true or not. The point still stands that, you know, it comes down to species and yes. how we and kittens are no more important than cow and vice versa. Correct. So Yep, I get it. It's just, yeah, very confronting. Mm, I'm curious to know what people, you know, think about this. If you guys have a particular opinion, whether you think this is right or wrong, I'd love to know on Instagram um, because this is like, we talk about this kind of stuff every now and again, this concept of, I think Dr. Melanie Joy originally coined this concept of carnism Mm -hmm. or she, because she wrote that book, um, Why We Eat uh, Pigs But Not Dogs. I think that's what it was called. And it's a very fascinating topic, but what do you guys think? Should we be eating kitten soup? I remember this billboard on the freeway one time and it was, you know, cows, sheep, pigs, and then it went to like dogs, cats, and rats. Mm -hmm. So it was just, you know, in a line and they were like, you know, where do you draw the line? Mm. And someone like being a smart ass went up and drew Drew a line line between pigs and dogs. And it's like, why is the line there? That's just a cultural thing mm. because for Chinese people it, or Vietnamese people, which well, we yeah, found we out found on our out. trip, mm. that the line would be non-existent. Yeah. They would eat all animals, yeah. but there are some, what is it India that don't eat cows? Mm. And then it's, you know, Muslim people that will not eat pig. Mm-hmm. There's just, everyone's got their own cultural line. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a super fascinating topic, but yeah, I think more conversations like this need to happen. Um, you know, maybe there doesn't have to be a kitten soup involved for that conversation to yeah. happen, though. Yay for those chickens that got saved. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the silver upside. lining. <laughs> Far-right US politician claims that global warming and carbon is good. Who, who's a politician? So this is for the US, okay. not Australia. And maybe we can insert the YouTube clip. It's actually, okay. I think it was, she did it on TikTok, I think. No, Fantastic. yeah, I think it might have been on TikTok, but she was on like a, a TV host, a show mm-hmm. host. This earth warming and, and, and carbon is, is actually healthy for us. We've already warmed one degree Celsius. And do you know what's happened since then? Here, let me tell you. We have had more food grown since Mm. then, which feeds people. We are able to, producing fossil fuels keeps people's houses warm in the winter. That saves people's lives. People die in the cold. This this earth warming and, and, and carbon is is actually healthy for us. It, it it is it's able it helps us to feed people. It helps keep people alive. It helps. There's the earth is more green than it was um, years and years ago, and that's because of the earth warming. That's because of carbon. Her name is Marjorie Taylor Green. She claims that the earth has already increased by one degrees, and that helps grow more crops to feed more people, and that fossil fuels are good to keep people warm, which keeps them alive fascinating and i quote yes i quote plants need carbon it's a life cycle but climate activists want to kill carbon fascinating well i'm gonna let you continue with this thought in a moment thank you but (laughs) i just the first thing out of the bat i'm like it's so strange how we can't deny besides that very last point they want to remove carbon that we know that that's actually scientifically impossible we need 
carbon to actually exist on a planet. Correct. We are made of carbon. Yes. However, what she's saying is technically true because your first point was plants need carbon. They absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Plants grow in certain conditions. Mm-hmm. And if it warms, that is going to suit some plants better than others. In some areas. In some areas. That's right. So there is like this glimmer of truth. And that's where I think this gets really frustrating because you can't just say, you know, you straight up deny it because she's, she's saying the truth, but the truth is, it's not black and white like that. No, it's not. We actually watched the news the other morning mm-hmm. and we saw a climate protest in Sydney. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah. So she used a bike lock to attach herself to the steering wheel mm-hmm. and she was on a major freeway. Yeah, she was on I believe. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Correct. So she had just pulled over and mm-hmm. and done it. Mm-hmm. So she um was copying abuse left, right and centre. Absolute outraged people screaming at her, right? <laughs> yeah. And then the next two news segments were about extreme weather. Hail, the storm in Florida, which I actually don't even know how that ended up. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen memes, but I haven't seen like a lot of the real footage. But, I, you know, Mm. Florida, as a side note, is actually going to be one of the first cities in in the continental base of the mainland US to actually go um, underwater, underwater, correct, because of their coastal line. A lot of parts of of the state have actually been underwater and we know they already have quite algal bloom issues so their ecological system is is getting far worse but yes continue well my point there is that people are outraged because they're inconvenienced by this protester Mm. but they're not outraged at the floods they're not putting that back onto themselves Mm -hmm. in any way shape or form Mm -hmm. and then there's this politician saying that climate change is good it's so Un, like, how do you even understand people's thought like that? Mm-hmm. So her other quote was, the earth warming and carbon is actually healthy for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to also point out that she's a huge Trump supporter, huge yes. right wing. I just assumed. Yeah. Um, and she had, like, when I did a Google search on her, the first thing I saw was that she's a, conser- a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. So... It's just sad that there are people out there that will be listening to her and believing that. Yeah. And, you know, their bias is now confirmed because this woman is a politician and she's supposed to be really intelligent. And, yeah, it's just very sad to to hear that. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's super frustrating. But, you know, it's it's so funny that politicians are meant to be intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But she's also mentioned how fossil fuels keep people alive. Yes, this is true, but there are other forms of keeping people alive without using fossil fuels. So you can assume by that her pockets are deep with fossil fuels. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny talking about this climate change is good kind of thing. Last week we released, or, or this week technically as recording, but the last episode released was with Dr. Andrew King who is a meteorologist at University of Melbourne. So he works a lot with the river stratospheres and he, he's an expert on the topic. He's written plenty of papers. He's featured in the ABC conversation, etc. Now that episode has gotten the most amount of hate of any episode I've previously released. 
Interesting. By by many, many folds. And it's also gotten, you know, the shorts and the reels that I've posted on it have gotten thousands and thousands and thousands of views. Now, the comments coming are, are incredibly fascinating. They're very on the same point that climate change is natural, um, denying climate change, but trying to use very big words. Scientific words. Scientific words, but completely misconstruing what those words actually mean. Like, yes, no one who's talking about climate change is denying that the world goes in, in cycles. No, ice ages have been happening for, yeah, yeah, many centuries. And people are just saying, oh, this is natural and you can't prove anything. And it's funny how this, this happens. And they're all, they're all in the same boat. So if you look at them, they're all conspiracy theorists. They all believe, um, you know, a certain thing that these conspiracy theorists believe. And I won't name So they've certain... gone down a YouTube hole. They've gone down the YouTube <laughs> rabbit hole. And it's so fascinating how, how the it's very consistent. What you find a climate denier or someone who thinks climate change is good, they have a certain set of values and beliefs that are so similar to everyone else in the community. And they yep. tend to not question that. Or they're very hard to communicate with. So, And I've, because they found their community, they can communicate this with their other people mm-hmm. and they're like, that means their mind is set. Mm-hmm. Their mind is made up. Yeah. And look, vegans fall into that same category sometimes as well with exacerbating science and things like that. But this is a lot more dangerous than making people exclude animal products. <laughs> this is talking about... And some of the climate denialism comes from, you know, who cares if very cynical kind of views. So I find it very fascinating how I don't know where it's come from, because last year, if you had asked me, I'd say there's not a lot of climate deniers. But now I'm thinking there's a lot more than I previously thought by many folds over. For sure. Yeah. And it's sad. A lot of them are politicians. And, Mm. you know, I've heard plenty of them say, even in Australia, that climate change isn't a huge threat, especially if they're they're paid by fossil fuel industries. You know, they they have to, you know, fund their ventures. And that means taking money from an industry that maybe doesn't have our best interests. Greed. Greed. That's right. Speaking of climate change, renewable energy is a huge huge term and and scientists have created sustainable energy from thin air air. and we're talking about this quite a bit because it's something i was super excited about um and the headline is not a joke so it's hydrogen energy which currently today is one of the safest and most sustainable energy forms on the planet So the challenge is that geographically, the renewable distribution of freshwater availability poses a threat. Because at the end of the day, it does utilize water. So there is not enough. At the moment, the UK, with the technology we have, we know that we couldn't run on hydrogen there. Because I think in my episode with uh, Professor Pericles, he said there's actually not enough freshwater lake uh, systems. So there has to be new solutions. And people shouldn't think of hydrogen energy as that's it. You need to combine hydrogen with solar, with Wind. wind, biomass all that kind of stuff. So in this paper, authors demonstrated a method of direct hydrogen production from the air on site. Now I'll post like a graph up in a second, but they capture fresh water from the atmosphere using a hydroscopic electrolyte and electrolysis powered by solar or wind with, and for the nerds, the current density is up to 574 MA CM square meters. So I don't really know what that means too much. Um, 
but the prototype was established and operated for 12 consecutive days with a stable performance. So this is tested on a certain scale. Now it can work. So this is the first question you gave me is, oh, well, it can only work in, in like tropical areas, but actually it works down to an area with 4% moisture. So it can operate in most environments. Now, given that it's operated with solar, it can, it's fully off the grid, self-sufficient. Um, now, for those nerdy enough like me, I'm going to read off the description of what the actual contraption is. So the module consists of a water harvesting unit in the middle and electrodes on both sides paired with gas collectors. The module is integrated with a power supply, for example, a solar panel, a wind turbine, and any other renewable generators. Importantly, the water harvesting unit also serves as a reservoir to hold the electrolytes. A porous medium such as melamine sponge, sintered glass foam is soaked with deliquescent ionic substances to absorb moisture from the air via the exposed surfaces. Um, I won't read too much on, but I'll put it on the website. If you picture like two platforms and then a sponge in the middle. Okay. That's the easiest way when I'm looking at it, I can explain. And there's a lot of math that they've done and something, you, a concern you raised mm. the moment I told you is the same concern that Professor Pericles raised um, when I emailed him about the invention. And that is simply that if you take water from somewhere, it's coming from somewhere. And if it's, you know, if water is in the air, it's surely needed to be in the air. So are we just drawing from one resource to give to another when we, you know. Correct. That hasn't been proven, but there is, you know, a decent hypothesis theory behind that. Because if you, if you, for example, t put this in Cairns, tropical North Queensland, there is a river stratosphere that actually takes clouds to the desert and gives places like Alice Springs, Cooper, a much needed rain through the mountain ranges. So if you install something that's in Cairns where it's tropical, it's going to have quite a lot of moisture bringing in urine. And that's all thanks to the Daintree rainforest, really. Correct. Mm. Yes. Um, you're in risk of, you know, potentially removing a lot of potential rain from these areas that very, very much need it. Just hurting that ecosystem. Correct. Yeah. So that's why I haven't put this in the good news segment because it is a very, very cool one of a kind contraption with potential downsides. Yeah. More research required. More research required. Two servings of fish a week is linked to skin cancer. Wow. In the study, they there was a news well a study conducted. I think it was in June earlier this year. Mm -hmm. In the study, they exclaimed that examined that the associations between intake of total fish and specific types of fish and the risk of melanoma, melan melanoma mm -hmm. among just under five hundred thousand people. Really, that's quite a big, um, huge, huge population there. So they were Americans, age fifty to seventy-one. Mm -hmm. And they found that the higher total fish intake, tuna intake, and non-fried fish intake were positively associated with risks of both, both malignant melanoma and melanoma in situ, if I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. Situ is when the cancer cells are, lim uh, are limited to the very outer layer of the skin and have not invaded the second layer. And we learnt this morning that we've got three layers. Yeah. The so, dermis, the epidermis, and the hypodermis. That's right. So what was the outer layer? I think that's the dermis. So then C2 is just on the dermis. Hasn't gone into the other 
two layers. Mm -hmm. A typical daily intake of fish, 42.8 grams, which is equivalent to about 300 grams per week, can increase the risk of malignant melanoma by 22%. Wow. Heavy metals like mercury are found in fish and have shown to cause several other problems in the body other than cancer. I have a few thoughts. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm hearing this stuff, I'm just like, yeah, no joke, but I have my own certain biases. So I'm trying to find what else could be the reason. Is it that people who eat more fish also eat other animals that are more fatty in basis? Um, well, I guess it's skin cancer. So you could also think, you know, if fish is readily available, are these places quite hot? Are they, mm. you know, by the ocean? Are people Where was spending? the population, do you know? Didn't say. Okay. These people are likely spending more time at the beach, that kind of thing. I don't know. I'm just thinking, you know, it's skin cancer. Why would skin cancer relate to eating fish? But mm. apparently there is a correlation. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking the age group is actually quite big, quite good because that's when, you know, you could argue that aging is causing the disease because it's lowering your immune system. But... That is the type of population we want because that's the population that's most susceptible to these cancers and other, other diseases. So, I think it was like one in 38 white people would be, would be getting skin cancer. It was like one in 1,000 for Africans or black people. Yeah. And then Hispanic was like 300, and, 300 to 1. So okay. white, white people are definitely more susceptible. Oh, of course. We mm. know that. But that's just, we also know that from sunscreen and, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating um, and, and very contradictory because you think like the Mediterranean diet is linked with very positive outcomes. But do they eat fish that often? Like You I mentioned know... 300 grams a week, yeah. right? I'm not sure how much exactly they would eat per week, but they do eat it weekly. Mm. Um, if not more a week. So it might be a smaller serving. But, you know, when they're eating fish, to my understanding, it is the main protein staple on their plate mm-hmm. then in that particular meal. Um, just- Unless they're not eating tuna. But saying that, it says total fish intake, tuna intake, and non-fried fish intake. Fascinating. Hmm. But, yeah, obviously more research is required for that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that is... But we'll uh, pop a link of the study. Yeah, yeah, so I, I want to read that, that as well. That's um very cool. King Charles, the eco prince. So I I don't want to talk too much about the the queen and whatnot because I'm sure everyone's heard plenty about it. I just want to talk about the now king, King Charles. Now while the media you know again have given them enough, enough screen time, I just want to mention that currently. Charles, back in his 20s, was actually a bit of a tree hugger. So, I don't know if he's vego or anything like that. Oh, actually, I do know a little bit about that. Well, he's definitely not vego. He's not vego. Um, but back in his 20s, in like 1970s, he was very outspoken about how we should stop polluting the ocean, stop fracking and the detriments of oil and gas, etc. And uh, more recently, Charles actually revealed to the, to the BBC um, that he doesn't eat meat and fish for two days a week and dairy for one day a week. Um, even his 50-year-old Aston Martin runs on surplus English white wine and cheese. Wow. Yeah, I'm not kidding. There actually runs on wow. left- leftovers, yeah. 
Very cool. So, of course, his footprint, again, is way higher than the average person, given the mansion and the private jets. Um, something that I would love to see is him to uh, retain that eco-princeness um, and, and be a bit more political. But I think due to the structure of the monarchy, they have to take an oath of silence when it comes to political regimes. But that's interesting that he only has to do that when he's king, but not when he's a prince. Mm. So he can be very outspoken as a prince, but not as a king. I suppose so interesting. Some, anything can change. Mm. So if he chooses to, why can't well, he, he change the Well, he is king now. He's he can king. change he's it. Like, he can become he the dog? eco-king. He can become the eco-king. Let's get into the deep dive. If you're vegan, you're more likely to be depressed. Or have depressive episodes. Or have depressive episodes. So that's not really a clickbaity title. It's something we've seen quite a bit, especially if you're into scientific forums and whatnot. It's something that is discussed a little bit and have has hit the headlines quite a bit across the world. Um, now, this particular the reason we're doing this is actually a recent paper was published in the Journal of Affective Disorders um, that found that vegetarians had twice the chance of having depressive episodes than meat eaters. That's a lot. Twice the chance. Mm, double. Um, and the reason we I wanted to talk about this is there's, there's of course a lot of nuance anytime you talk about science and, and this is such a black and white title and I don't want people coming up to you and saying, oh, I'd go vegan, but I don't want to be depressed because you're depressed because you're not getting your protein levels or you're depressed because you're not eating meat. You're depressed because you're not, whatever it is. Um, I think this is really important. One, because to talk about mental health is really important and to see what we found, how we can tackle this. But two, um, you want to be armed with this kind of information in case that conversation does come up. We want to make sure as many people um, are eating plants as possible um, and not having... Uh, an increased risk of depression, especially if it can and be if avoided. And if you are having issues or depressive thoughts, there are ways to help and people you can reach out to. Of course. Um, your country will always have a hotline. So if this does trigger you in any way, shape or form, please do, do reach out to a friend, family member or um, one of the professional hotlines where someone can walk you through it. But looking at the particular study, researchers surveyed 14,216 participants aged 35 to 74 years old over six months. So it was quite a, quite a large group. And I want to mention the exact conclusion from the study. Depressive episodes are more pre- prevalent in individuals who do not eat meat, independently of socioeconomic and lifestyle factors. Nutrient deficiencies do not explain this association. The nature of this association remains unclear. So more research is required yet again. Correct. Um, Now, is this data new and crazy? Like we said, no. This is not some revolutionary first of its kind study. There's plenty that has been done. And we've we've discussed other studies on here just like this before. Yeah, there was one done up in Brisbane. Yeah. Which was very misconstrued by the media. Um, Classic media. Classic media. But earlier this year, there was a meta-analysis published Um, with 50,000 individuals that found the same thing. So, you know, it's to be expected. Now, the first thing that ran through my mind is we look at health studies, right? Uh, You'll find not much of a difference in a lot of outcomes between meat eaters and vegetarians 
but you'll find a big difference between vegetarians and vegans. So, of course, there's a difference in, in your diet. There's a difference in the way you associate yourself with your identity. So there's a lot of different pillars that come into play here. Um, and before we get into the actual psychology and I'll let you share your thoughts, I just wanted to run through the most comprehensive study I found on this. Um, so something a little bit different. Early this year, Rashika Jain led a huge meta-analysis on the difference between vegetarian and vegan diets. So this is that exact question I wanted to no. Now, they had very strict criteria on what um, what conclusion, how they structured the study. So, strict criteria is very, very good. And I'll, I'll insert the actual table that they had, but it was things like over 18 years old, you had you had to have a, a comparison, comparison diet, and the outcome had to show some sort of depressive or they had to be looking at depressive systems, not they were studying something else. Oh, and they also found this. So, it had to specifically be looking at that. And there's lots of other um, different criteria that they had, but they reviewed each study using the rigorous NIH quality assessment tool. In total, they found 3,123 studies related to depressive systems and vegetarian vegan diets, and they only, only 25 study outcomes passed their tests. So, you know, that's when you know the study is quality. Now, this is the actual results. 44% of the outcomes suggested that vegetarians or vegans are associated with high rates of depression. 28% suggested that it lowers the risk of depressive symptoms and 28% found no correlation. So most likely you'll find no correlation to positive, but some cases you'll find negative. So only four of the studies actually looked at the outcomes of vegans. One was a randomized control study that found an improvement to depressive symptoms with those with a vegan diet. One cohort study found it to reduce depressive symptoms as well. So we've got two positives there. And then two uh, cross-sectional studies, which is more like a survey type of situation, found a vegan diet associated with depression. And one found compared vegan, uh, vegetarianism to veganism and uh, veganism was more associated than vegetarianism. So... You know, obviously, there's a lot to look at here. Socioeconomic backgrounds, age, culture, finances, family relationships. There's a lot, and there's a lot of different um, angles you can take on this. But what have you taken away from from thinking about this? When you first mentioned it to me, my food for thought was: Are vegetarians and vegans more exposed to animal cruelty? and the effects of climate change and that is what might be contributing to their depressive episodes like i don't i'm not saying that we get depressed about climate change but i'm saying that climate anxiety we have a it term it is a thing yeah. it is a thing it really can affect you mm -hmm. and i'm just wondering if that might have something to do with some of the episodes that they're mentioning i don't know mm -hmm. i really don't Mm. I wonder if like, you know, because when you first, I talk about this a lot, when I first decided to take on a vegan lifestyle, I was quite a lot more militant and aggressive. And there's lots of different communities or ideologies that have, I think, the same structure. So not that I want to relay veganism to anti-vaxxers, but in that group, you find that there are a subsector that are quite aggressive. Now, would these people be more 
susceptible to depressive symptoms because of how long they've been an anti-vaxxer or because they're um, X, you know, is it because of that? Or if someone, again, within veganism, we're talking about this off mic, if someone is just plant-based for their health and then you've got a second group that is vegan for the animals and or the environment, what is the difference there? Well, yeah, as we were saying before, I think there's a lot more trigger points as well. Like you mentioned, if they're driving past a KFC, are they going to get really upset thinking about those chickens that are being slaughtered? Mm-hmm. Are they going to drive past Macca's and think, look at all those cows that are being put in those burgers? They're triggered by these points. And we know KFC and Macca's are absolutely everywhere. Yeah. You can't drive five minutes without seeing some sort of restaurant Mm. are they completely triggered every single time they're seeing that and that's what's getting them really upset Mm. that's a great point and actually on a sidebar of that i was listening to something and i could have actually put this in my good news but it was one of those scandinavian countries like uh, finland or denmark they're banning meat advertisements you know what i vaguely heard something about this yeah i think it was outrage and optimism that i was listening to and they said you know it's just like tobacco so Mm. they they surveyed the population they said would you like to see propaganda on your tvs that 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 was the question that was posed to them Mm. and the population said no so they've banned absolutely and um meat advertisements wow yeah i think i read something like you know one day meat will have those smoking kills meat kills meat causes this like how interesting that should be a thing mm. and i think it will eventually we never ever thought that would happen on the smoking packets ever oh for sure it's you know people don't I remember re- that time yeah i remember still the red and white or the blue and gold like i remember those and mm. now they're plain with a huge disgusting photo on it like it's insane to think the progression there and i feel like hopefully meat won't be too far behind that yeah, I'm very excited to see where that goes, but it's... Do you think it would happen with lollies? Like, yeah, lollies well, that's the other point. make why, you lose why your teeth. Stop at, <laughs> why stop at meat? Like, we, mm. we're saying that as, as a bias, but, you know, at the end of the day, if someone eats a little bit of chicken once a week, that's not going to destroy their lives. You no. know, the chicken might have a different story about that. Yes. And that's, you know, where you have to think beyond that. But... Like, again, why not go to – but it's you'll never – I don't know if – I don't want to say never because – Finish your sentence. People thought that about smoking, but, <laughs> yes. you know, how could you – you'll have to have a diet that – or like the But saying that one guidelines. cigarette won't hurt you. Like – True, true, true. Nobody stops at one Pringle, one of those ones. When you pop, you can't stop. Was now that their logo I want or something? Pringles, thank you. <laughs> but and I think another point of the study is – how were their diets? Are these vegans Great point. eating saturated fat and sugar constantly? Like, or are they eating whole foods, plant-based foods? Yeah. Well, I think so, your point is very important because I even found a study published on Springer that found, in quotes, a high consumption of refined sugars and saturated fat and a low dietary content of fruits and vegetables has been associated with the develop- development of depression. And then further on in the study, they actually mentioned that this is why populations that follow a Mediterranean-type diet have a small to medium benefit when it comes to mental health and why being whole foods plant-based could also share that benefit. 
And another point to that is if these people don't really care too much about their health, they're eating all this fat, they're eating all this sugar, are they exercising? Because we know how good exercise is for mental health. Mm, No one can really deny that. No. So it's, yeah, I think there's just so much to uncover with this study. Well, you know, it comes down to the limitations as well. Um, We're talking out there there of my sister who, who studies psychology and it's fascinating how there's there's a lot of things that if you go do a questionnaire, how how did you sleep the night before? That's exactly right. How's your relationship? Did you have a fight with your spouse the day before? How was your diet? Have you exercised that morning? Maybe you missed your exercise and now you feel guilty. And so now you, and where are you at with your head? What's happening in the world at that time? Which is, you know, Dr. Andrew Little had this point and I, I'm going to use his quote a little bit now. A cohort study like this, a cross-sectional, is a snapshot in time. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do a study like this in the middle of COVID about vegan diets, everyone in that in that era had a lot of people had depressive Depressive symptoms. No one, no one's out here dancing of joy because of the strain that COVID's put on society. So what is happening in that moment? When was this done? If a study's published in June, it could have been conducted two years ago. It could have been conducted five years ago. There's trials that it has to pass and, and different regulations that it has to follow. It has to be, some will have to follow peer review criteria. And so that's why, you know, cohort studies and cross-sectional studies in particular are really cool to ask questions and to maybe find something that's worth investigating. But if someone comes up to me and they said, you know what, Tom, you know, let's, I want to hear what you'd say first. I know, you know what, Shana, I read, I saw this on the news and I saw that vegan diets are associated with depression and, you know, I, I don't want to put that on myself. How would you respond? I don't know if I would go the advice way of just eating what feels best for you, reaching out, making that community, exercising, or saying like, let's look at this and uncover the study itself i guess there's a a few ways you could go Mm, true you know you mentioned a point which is just catering to that individual Mm. as well you know those questions are always really difficult um because it's that whole thing you know for one percent of the people militancy will work you shoving a screen down their throat showing x will will make him do whatever you want him to do now the way that i would if someone come up to me is just acknowledge hey i'm just going to do a bit of a role play here oh you know i'm so glad that you're into your mental health and you're prepared to really take advantage of you know the information that's coming to you so you can make the most um educated and i guess best choices for your health in the long term and that's really awesome for your friends and family because they want what's best for you um you know, when we're looking at certain things like diets, they absolutely do impact your health. So I think you're very smart for bringing that up. You know, if you're eating a bunch of lollies, we know how you feel after that. You know, it's not always... Oh, you always, feel great for the first five minutes. Great. That's right. And so I think, you know, to your point, we can't deny that diet affects our mental health, the way we feel, the way that we look at each other. There's no doubting that. Now, if you think a vegan diet affects your mental health, I would say you're also right. Because lollies can be vegan and so can fruits and bananas. So I think when we're really looking at a certain type of diet, I would also encourage you to choose the healthiest choices regardless of your diet. So I would say that if you're wanting to follow a vegan lifestyle, 
you're going to be a lot more conscious of your choices, which means that, you know, for me personally, I'd be thinking about um, making sure there's no guilt with the food that I choose. And I think if you follow a vegan diet, you become really passionate about food and you start loving health. So there is a really big opportunity for you to upgrade your health once following a plant-based diet because you're going to find that you're going to be a lot more passionate about what you put in your mouth, a lot more thorough and a lot more um, thorough with the, especially the ingredients you're, you're looking at. You want to be making the best choices. And I think you can do it in a great way and in an unhealthy way. So, you know, I implore you for really thinking about this and making this the right decision. Um, and, you know, if you choose to go down that vegan route, I'm always here for you as your support group, helping you whatever way you want to, whatever way you need help so we can make sure that both our mental health is looked after. And that's another thing your sister brought up was um, vegans cop it a lot from non-vegans. Mm. They often will be one vegan out of their whole community. Mm. Sometimes you'll be able to go and find your own vegan community. Sometimes that's only online or, you know, so it can be hard to not be a part of a community or on Facebook I see often people going, oh, I got invited to a, a barbecue, but I really don't want to go because they'll be cooking meat. Mm. There's just, and then you're isolating yourself from your people, which might not be as healthy, but if you go, then you're triggered by all the meat and the animals being cooked. So it is, it can, it's a vicious cycle. It I actually is. spoke to a vegetarian recently. Well, I don't even want to label her a vegetarian. I just said, how are you going with your vegetarianism? And she said, I would slip up or I would make, I would have a craving and I would slip up mm -hmm. and then that would affect my mental health. Mm. So I'm, it's exactly what I was saying before. You feel mm -hmm. guilty about the choices that you're making. Yes. So I just said to her, do what feels right. If you're craving a little bit of chocolate, that's okay. Mm. Just go with it. And then eventually you might find other options. Like we've just tried the lint vegan chocolate amazing mm. you know it's just about experimenting and finding what works for you but if putting a label on your diet is hurting your mental health don't do it mm -hmm. just don't do it just say you're eating food like really no one needs to know mm. it is a good point and um i just want to mention i was actually recently a part of a study actually it was um someone up in in new south wales doing a study on masculinity men and mental health and for, you know, I, don't, I don't know too much about the structure of the study, but it kind of seemed like a, a cross-sectional study um, of, of a smaller type cohort. But the questions, you know, I was asked is very fascinating, especially for men, because I think men have very unique challenges compared to women, um, given, you know, the, what is masculinity? And these are the types of questions that I was asked, you know, what does masculinity mean? What does it mean for your masculinity when you went vegan? What are the types of conversations that you had with your friends and family? What challenges did you come across? And these all affect your mental health because it's, you know, you're going to get pressed and you have to, and, and my, my response to a lot of these questions is you just have to be prepared and you have to come across everything as the bigger person. Life isn't easy and no, no path you take is easy. But every single path is going to have its own challenges. Mm. So, you you know, you're in a, a vegetarian path. You're going to find different challenges than someone that eats meat. But you all have your own challenges. So you've just got to pick the path that you're willing to face those challenges with. Mm. Mm. Yeah, 100%. So 
to, to round this out with the mental health um, concept, you know, when you're looking at studies like this, just know that there are limitations and you are unique. You're not a number. So when you're saying, you know, vegans, it's like the thing with the watches. So there was a study that came out, people who had a watch and they see that they have a bad sleep, all of a sudden they've had a bad sleep without even connecting with themselves. How do I feel? Same thing. There was actually a very cool study. Um, a person, and it's on YouTube actually, they have a fake hand. They think it's their hand, but it's not. So it's, I don't know how it's structured. I just, I heard it audibly, but I think they've put like something, a sleeve on top. They think it's their hand. And people are putting a hot rod, uh, rod on this person's hand. And now the rod is room temperature, but the participant is asked whether to say the rod is hot or cold. And the rod was set to randomly have a red buzz or a uh, blue buzz, a little LED indicator. Now, when it went red, the subject almost always said it was hot. When it went blue, the subject almost always said it was cold without it actually being their hand. And a separate study has actually been done where it was their hand, still room temperature, still the same results. Wow. And so, you know, you, the mind is a powerful thing and don't let yourself, I, I think what's important for me is knowing that, yes, these 14,000 people, you know, I'm, I'm sad that some of them had high rates of depression, but don't think that because you're vegan, you are going to be susceptible to this because if you think that- You're I'm right. Go- you're right. That's right. And if you don't think that, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be very careful with the way that we interpret this information. And then that's when I'd focus on the different pillars of health. Veganism is simply an ideology. It's a philosophy. What about your, 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 goes beyond your diet, your lifestyle, your sleep, your relationships. Like we're talking about, it's, it's multifaceted. Um, so that's how I would kind of round out these, these points. I'm not sure if you have anything else to add there. Well, it's really hard with these studies because, you know, what are you supposed to do? Put 14,000 people in a box and feed them the same thing have them reading the same thing, seeing the same thing, surrounded by their loved ones. Like there's no way I think of getting a proper correlation between your diet and your mental health. It's great that these things are being researched, um, but I think it just comes down to there's more research required and yeah, more time will tell. We understand so little about the brain. Mm. So mental health is such a complicated topic when it comes to studies um, so yeah, you, like you said, you can't put yourself in a box like that, especially when it comes to ones like these. Yep. On to our sustainability tip. Take it away. Let's do it. So this one's really simple. I want to bring it back to basics because we've been <clears throat> noticing a certain, certain level of conversation has been had for this very simple tip. Take your keep cup wherever you go. And the reason for this is on Instagram, I'm seeing so many people going on their walk from their front door to their cafe and then enjoying their day, but they're not taking it with them. They're taking a photo with the the cup and, you know, in a beautiful park or on the ocean or something. (laughs) So they're enjoying nature. Excellent. But they are not taking their keep cup, even though they are coming from their house. This, this does not have to be complicated, people. I have walked outside of my house, no, not with a keep cup. So you don't, need to have, you don't need to spend $40 on a cool, flashy, 
looking i've walked out with mugs mm. with glasses well when we were living in kensington people did it all the time to oh, that bakery down the yeah, road yeah all the time people would just bring their nice cozy mug hey yep. can you make it in this it's it's you don't need to be nervous i don't know if there is a sense of nervousness there i don't want to look silly i don't want to mm. look stupid like thank goodness it is cool to be sustainable it is cool to be environmentally friendly so it's just it, if you've gone to your local just take a cup the amount of Please. times yeah it's we were doing it when we were traveling overseas so we made the space in our suitcase for our keep cup our water bottle our and our tumbler mm. for smoothies because we knew we would have multiple and the amount of plastic that would be used in that would have been huge yeah, so just we saved yeah. we would have saved so much and you know what if you can spare 10 minutes sitting in a cafe True, if you haven't got it. And that's what we generally do. If we haven't got our keep cup or if we haven't got our tumbler and we can't sit in, we don't get anything. Yeah. Like I know that's very reductionist. That's That could be – So extreme, It Shana. could be so extreme to some people. But I think that's – you know, we enjoy beautiful environments over our coffee. You do anyway. <laughs> of course, of course. It's And you know what? It's – well, imagine if that photo on Instagram actually had heaps of rubbish in the bottom of it. Yeah, like they're taking that photo. They wouldn't be taking it if there was so much rubbish. And there's and that's exactly what we saw in Asia. Yeah, and there's no limit in Asia. I would walk down because I can't be bothered sometimes washing my keep cup. So I literally just take if you if you don't have the five minutes, I've taken just a mug because mm-hmm. mugs are a lot easier than wash than keep yes, cups. So I just take a mug downstairs. I'm walking. I go to a place. They don't even give you weird looks. And this is Asia where everyone loves plastic cups. Loves it. So I just think it's so simple and and it's a good reminder to have these conversations. And if you see someone taking a, you know, photo with a disposable cup, message them like, where's your keep cup, man? That's what I say. And I say it in a funny way. I don't care if I add a wink or a a P, you know, that dot, dot P face, whatever it is. The, the tongue out, smiley face. P face. Okay. The se- semicolon yeah, and the P, I you know. What you now. Yeah, the <laughs> P face. P face. <laughs> God, that could be taken out of context. <laughs> but if they don't have, guess what? You've just found a good birthday present to get them. Yeah, I love that idea too. Like we had a housewarming, and instead of buying them, I don't know, a vase or artwork plant, or a plant, which plants, plants are, are great. Gift, actually, yeah. So yeah, don't diss the plant. Don't but diss the plants. I got them those reusable silicon. Yeah. The, like glad you put wrap it on instead. The, you put it on the container to yes. store it for longer. Yep. What a beautiful gift. It saves them money. It's friendly for the environment. And it's something they probably don't have. Definitely not. But yeah, I think that's a very good sustainable tip to to add. On to the good news stories now. Albanese government's climate change bill has passed the Senate and Australia now has an emissions reduction target of 43% by 2030. Decent news. Mm-hmm. Decent news. Mm-hmm. Now, 43% is not 100%. And Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> um, so here's just a few key points to know. The 43% reductions by 2030 target is the minimum and can be increased over time. So previously... The forty-three percent was almost a cap or or a tar- it's a target. Yeah. But now it has become the minimum. Great. Which I think is a very key thing. Um, the target automatically increases 
every five years to stay in line with Article 2 of the Paris Agreement, which aims to limit global temperatures to 2 degrees and strive for 1.5 above pre-industrial levels. And lastly, the Independent Climate Change Authority will provide the government with science-based policy advice annually. That sounds great. Sounds great. Dolphin poo can be the key to saving the world's coral reefs. No doubt. Spinner dolphins, which are commonly found in captivity, as they're famous for their acrobatic marina displays without any training at all. So they're the ones that you would, if you see them and they do these little fancy tricks in the ocean, that's them, Um, which is why they are so popular for captivity, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. This is the ones that they, I think, catch as babies in that Japanese ocean Oh, right. So I think in Seaspiracy, they were spinner dolphins, right. I believe. There yep. you go. So boycott SeaWorld people. Yeah. Um, have, they have very special poop. Mm. These dolphins. Okay. So their poop has reef-enhancing nutrients and study reveals that they likely enhance the coral reef's productivity and resilience. And they suggest that these dolphins play a role in making nutrients available to coral reefs. So you're saying dolphins are part of this symbiotic ecosystem? Could you imagine? Wow. So if we take dolphins out of the ocean, their poo can't help our coral reefs be resilient. Mm. So there's a huge little, like, what is that? Ecosystem. Yeah. So scientists scientists claim simply by going to the toilet in the shallow Atoll lagoons, these dolphins are providing a vital nutrient supply for the corals, making the strongest possible case for protecting the dolphins in order to save these reefs. Very cool. So not only are we being able to save the coral reefs, we're also trying to save the dolphins from becoming extinct. So keeping that alive. Dolphin poop. That is awesome. Um, I'm so glad that that is a thing. And uh, And who are these scientists testing Dolphin poo. Like, what, what? why? What a really cool, like, what do you do for work? Oh, you know poo? Yeah, I work with that thing. And it specifically comes from dolphins that do acrobatic tricks in the ocean. I think most of these studies were from the Maldives as well. So, Oh, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Very cool. Yeah, well, you know what? Everything affects everything. And we know, we know there's so many studies and examples where something's been removed from the ocean and things have just gone completely, completely amok. Yeah, the ocean's one of those things that we just don't know enough about. No. Like, you know, we've done it with the planet or well, the land, adding snakes, which gets rid of the mice, but then we've got too many snakes, then we get cats, too many cats. Yeah, it's just... There's actually this really cool study, and I don't know the exact details of it, but this scientist endeavoured upon something so arduous, I couldn't imagine doing it myself. But there was like this reef that had 1,200 species of... Of, I don't know if it's total um, total marine animals or just starfish. And they took out one starfish species at a time to see what effect it would have on the ecosystem. Wow. And they found every single one of them to be vitally important. Incredible. Mm. Different, like a different species of starfish maybe just has a different pigment somewhere. Yeah. But each one had their very, very specific and particular role in that ecosystem. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, um, you, you can't deny that nature has developed over billions of years to create the most perfect balance. And I feel like if we just left it alone, it would fix itself. hundred percent. We just don't do that. We just don't do that. <laughs> so Patagonia has been donated to a nonprofit to fight climate change. 
Can you explain what Patagonia is? Because that is a place. How do you mean? <laughs> Patagonia, the clothing company. So I'd imagine their, their clothes is what I'd put as like adventure outdoor gear. So like hmm. Kathmandu, MacPack. North um, Face. North Face, these yeah. kinds of things. Patagonia is very cool. And they've, they've been a part of the climate change community for a while. And mm. I've, I, I, I've been wanting Patagonia stuff for a while. And they have these really cool uh, surfing initiatives. And their tops are quite activism related so like Mm. they'll have a top with like just a surf uh, a wave with their logo which says save the ocean or stuff like this um and so the founder yvonne chunard um donated the company which is worth three billion us dollars um by the way to the planet and the mission is preserving nature now this is the most epic thing and that my favorite thing about reading about this this news yvonne came out and said as of now earth is our only shareholder I'm like, oh my God, that is such a beautiful and eloquent way to put this. So him and his family have donated 2% of all stock and decision-making authority to a trust, which will oversee the company's mission and value. And the other 98% will go towards a nonprofit called the Holdfast Collective, which I think is Patagonia helped found as well, which will use every dollar received to fight the environmental crisis, protect nature and biodiversity and support thriving communities as quickly as possible. That's fantastic news. That is that is eco-capitalism, if I've ever seen it. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I think the founder, Yvonne, I think he was quite a big surfer and activist when he was younger. So he cool. built this on that dream um, to want to do better for the environment. So as he's getting older now, I don't know what his age actually was, but in the photos, he looks like he's like mid-80s or so. Um, donating the company to a charity like that is the ultimate mic drop moment for an activist. And I think not taking this lightly, this could go down as history for a $3 billion company to fight climate change. That's a lot of money and Mm. profit that they're making that's going to go towards conserving the ocean. And the more products that get bought, the more money there is to support the climate. Correct. So I'm really stoked with that. That's it for us today. That is the monthly paradigm wrapped up in a nice, neat package of one hour. Um, So the upcoming episodes, we have uh, Erica Kritz tell us. So that's going to be all about traveling the world as a vegan. We're going to have Kathy Stevens, which is who is the founder of Catskill Animal Sanctuary. And then we have Ariel King on fighting racism and climate injustice. So three very different topics, um, you know, traveling the world as vegan, uh, compassion, which is what Kathy's episode will be about and animal sanctuaries and then fighting racism and climate injustice. So hugely important topics that I'm very excited to release. Great conversations as well. And if you wanted to keep up to date with the monthly paradigm in conjunction with this episode releasing, there is a newsletter that goes out. It's called the monthly debrief. Um, and you can head to the plantparadigm.com and chuck in your email address there to get that sent in your email with a nice little neat package. Lovely. Well, that is all from us today. Stay happy. Eat plants. Peace. <laughs>